Hi everyone, welcome to Third Spacing, the podcast, where we explore important issues on the peripheries of clinical medicine in Singapore. This is your host, Mahima. In this episode, I interview Dr. Paige Terrian Church, a neonatologist and developmental behavioral pediatrician at the University of Toronto. She shares with us her personal journey as a physician living with spina bifida and also discusses her 2017 publication in JAMA Pediatrics entitled A Personal Perspective on Disability, Between the Words, in which she publicly disclosed her disability for the first time. Hi, Dr. Church. It's such a pleasure to have you on the show today. Could you just tell us a bit about yourself and your disability? Sure. My name is Paige Church. I am a neonatologist and a developmental behavioral pediatrician. And I also am a patient who lives with a form of spina bifida. Maybe you can expand a bit on spina bifida for the benefit of our audience. Sure. So spina bifida is in the family of a neural tube defect. That is an embryologic term for the spinal cord and the brain that develop in an early fetus. And when there is a failure of closure or an improper closure of the neural tube that will form the spine, that results in spina bifida. And so what happens is there are open forms where the spine and its elements are exposed to the amniotic fluid. And then when the baby's born to the environment, those are surgical emergencies at birth. And then there's another form of spina bifida where the skin actually closes, but the neural elements are not contained within the meninges. The nerves are coming out and mixing in with tissue like fat tissue or fibrous tissue inside the spinal cord. That's not a surgical emergency, but those over time can create problems because as the child grows, the neural elements are not free to move and hang freely. They're tangled up in whatever this tissue is, and then the spinal cord gets stretched over time. I had the closed form, which is generally thought to be less functionally impactful, but as an infant, because I was born a while ago, and there wasn't necessarily the same level of imaging technology that there is today, the surgeon who went in first to look at my findings actually transected part of the cord. So that made it a bit more complicated than it would have been had I been born today. Dr. Church, in 2017, you actually published an opinion piece in JAMA Pediatrics entitled A Personal Perspective on Disability Between the Words, in which you publicly disclosed your disability for the first time. So I quote, Unsurprisingly, my medical record misses features that truly define me. Physician, wife, mother, sister, daughter, mentor, and friend. Without my medical record, Most would not recognize the challenges. The scars are well hidden and my medical regimen is tightly controlled. However, the effort to appear normal is exhausting and isolating. Dr. Church, your writing touched me so deeply. What drove you to write this article? That's a good question. I actually wrote it right after Christmas sitting at our counter. And I think it was this incredible building pressure that I was living this second life that was hidden, shamed. And it was starting to bother me because my daughter, who was in grade school at the time, was starting to become very clearly complicit in the cover-up routine. So I was starting to see her lying for me, which I found incredibly sweet, but also incredibly concerning because without any instruction, she sort of saw what I was doing and had jumped on and was doing it with me. And that really was bothering me. Lots of walks, lots of thinking about it. And 
I just sat down and wrote it. And then after I wrote it, I didn't share it with anybody, including my husband for six months. And then I wanted to do a research project with this physician that I deeply admired. And I begged for a meeting with her. I finally got the meeting. And then right before the meeting came, I was asked to do an emergency consult for spina bifida. And I was so angry and frustrated because the reason I felt that the consult was so important and couldn't be delayed was my own history, but nobody knew that. So my worry was that yet again, I was looking like I was inauthentic and not being true. So I emailed her and I said, I'm really sorry, I have to miss the meeting. I have an emergency. And I said the nature of the consult was, and she responded back with a paper she had just written on family experiences with spina bifida. And I was like, that's so lovely. Thank you so much. But then I felt even more inauthentic. So then I replied back with my editorial and I said, this has never been published, but this is why these consults are so important to me. And she replied back with one sentence, send this to JAMA now. So nice to have someone who didn't know me, wasn't going to try to make me feel good because it was such a sensitive essay to just have someone who was an outsider that I didn't know validate it in a way that I hadn't ever expected I could get it done. I sent it to JAMA with a letter saying, I am open to not publishing it, but please don't ask me to change what I've written. And they emailed back like very quickly and said, we want to publish it. Can you shave off a few words, which I was fine with. And then I had to go and sit down with my husband and ask my husband, because it wasn't just me that was going to be out there. It was now him and my daughter. And so we sat on the dock at our lake house and we talked about it. And he just said, are you ready for this? Do you realize what this is going to do? You'll never be able to put it back. And I said, I think I am. I think I'm so tired of living this lie. And it was interesting. I think for all of us and for me, it freed us up from this life of duplicity. It made it easier to just be honest. So I think in the end, it has been a good choice. Thank you for that. You're talking about how your husband said you can't go back from this. And disclosure as a medical professional can be really difficult given what yes. our community expects of us. Building on that, the decision of whether or not to disclose is something a lot of healthcare professionals with disabling conditions struggle with. So what did you experience once your disability was out in the open? And how did this compare with all your years of hiding? Certainly it's generated more interest. I'm most happy when I get emails from students and residents who are looking for guidance because my hope is that the path will only be easier for someone who is still walking along it. So that's been great. I love those and I respond to those very quickly. And I think there's been some interest, which I was surprised by. I thought it would be published and then lost. But amongst my colleagues, some have acknowledged it. I think a lot of people were genuinely surprised to read it. I don't think a lot of people knew and a lot of people had created explanation for why things were the way they were. I had a nickname I didn't even know. Apparently I was called your highness because some of the nurses just thought that I was given extra privileges because I was one of the few females in the group, which wasn't true. Some of my senior partners knew why I was not taking call or doing things. Medically, they understood it. And personally, they were very kind. But some of the nurses didn't. So it was nice in that way because it, it definitely became clear. It was no more hiding, no more lying, no more pretending, no more misunderstanding. And I appreciated that. There are some colleagues, a minority, but not a insignificant minority, who never acknowledged that it was written. That I found sad, particularly because some of them I really admired and I would have thought that they might have acknowledged it. And then a few who acknowledged it begrudgingly, and then it has come up in a not positive way in meetings. But that's a very small few. And at this point in my career, meh, you can't really do anything to me with that. But it's a little uncomfortable, for sure. 
are you happy with your decision to disclose it at this point of time in your life? And do you think the response would have been different if you had disclosed your condition earlier, maybe say when you were in medical school? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm at a stage in my career that's a lot safer. I'm further along. My reputation was based on a lot of other things and that's what I wanted. I didn't want it to be that people looked at me and that was the first thing they thought of because that's not the first thing I think of when I think about myself. So that that's the challenge is finding the right time where you have a reputation. I think that's important and I don't know what that sweet spot is for different people. That being said, I definitely came out very publicly in JAMA. In medical school, not many people knew. In residency, definitely my program director knew because I ended up having surgery in the middle of my residency and it was unexpected and it was horrible. So quietly, people of influence knew before I decided to come out publicly. And by and large, I would say most of the people were incredible and protective. I was my own worst enemy. I wanted desperately to prove myself. I don't know if I could have done it sooner. I think everybody's going to have their own timeline, but I would say for me, it was important to be something other than that. Because if I only am my condition, then I personally feel that I'm trapped by it. I would rather be lots of things with this rather than this being the only thing. So I think people have to get to know individuals beyond their conditions, not with their condition completely hidden, but so that they can get to know the whole person rather than just this is who I am. Referring again to your article, I really encourage everyone in our audience to read it. You write, I acknowledge that I do not have the right answer and I feel differently day to day, sometimes hour to hour about my condition. But I've also learned that medicine oversimplifies the discussion of disability. It is not easily distilled into an all or none discussion. Dr. Church, what are some of the positives and negatives that living with spina bifida has created for you? It's funny. I'm doing a talk at a meeting next week and I was writing my slides and it's about this. You can't separate the two. I am spina bifida and spina bifida is me. Like the positives, without it, I wouldn't have met my husband. I might have married some other guy who was not that great. There were a lot of men who walked away from dating me when they learned the medical complications and that filtered out a lot of people that weren't of the caliber that I wanted. And instead I married an incredible man who just came to check and make sure that the technology is all working. But yet someone who is the first to kick me in the behind and tell me to get up and get moving if I'm being lazy. So he's the perfect match for me and I would have never found him if that had not been the case. And without him, we wouldn't have our daughter. And those magical things that come with hardship. Was it easy when I was a young girl or a young woman and I was trying to date and figure out who I was and who I wanted to be with and falling in love and then having people walk away? No, that was not easy. But the flip side of it is, look at what I have now. And the positives weave together with the negatives. And and that's that paper came from. You can't separate it. It's life. Life is ugly. Life is beautiful all in the same minute. And that's where I live. I live in this messy world and I, I love it. That's such a beautiful way to put it. How has your experience with a congenital condition impacted your work as a pediatrician and how you interact with your patients and their families? I hope it makes me a better physician. I hope that I use the experience I have had to be more thoughtful, to be more aware of how it feels. Yesterday, I was observing rounds at a new hospital and 
just trying to remember how I would feel if I were on the other side of that equation. And I was thinking as I approached the rounds, I was intimidated and I'm a physician of mid-career. How does it feel when you're a parent approaching that? Like you get these reminders and that awareness has come with being a patient. And then I also think as an adult, watching my husband experience the medical system as a partner and as a supporter, that was really eye-opening to me because it made me so much more aware of how parents feel and how family members feel. He didn't know the rules and we learn the rules in medical school, how you behave and what's expected of you. And to see someone who doesn't know the rules and doesn't understand them, trying to navigate it, you see how they can run up against things that are unintentional and yet can have significant consequences. And for me, it's made me a very loud proponent of making sure that we step outside of our culture and we remember that our rules aren't published and our expectations aren't always clear to everybody. And we need to be more articulate about what's needed and why it's not working, but that takes a lot of time and energy. So, and trying to give a lot more grace. We all have had those patients that come in. I call it the 52 pickup. The deck of cards has 52 cards. And when I was little and I was being mean to my brother, I'd say, do you want to play a game? And he'd say, yeah. I'd say, okay, let's play 52 pickup. And he'd be like, oh, okay. And then you throw all the cards in the air and you tell them to pick them up. And we all have those patients who come in and they throw all the cards in the air and you're left to say, which one do I pick up and how do I fix this? I used to get really frustrated with those types of patients. And as I've gotten older and I've become more aware of what I'm doing and watching my husband eat it, I now see that those events aren't intended to be annoying. They're a moment of desperation. And so how do we recognize that desperation and help contain it so that we can start working productively in the healthcare system to help them move things along? Those are the things that have taught me to try to be more aware of those experiences for families and patients and to be more mindful of those and to stop and say, okay, how do we do this? Let's focus on three things today. We're going to pick up three things and then we're going to make an appointment and we'll do another week and we'll do three more. Dr. Church, I'm aware that you run a spina bifida clinic and that is the same condition that you have. So in this area, what have some of your experiences with your patients and their families been? Yeah, I just stepped down from the clinic recently, but when I was running it, I had quietly been having conversations with my patients even before the paper came out. The really difficult ones felt like they weren't being listened to and that they were really frustrated with whatever was working or not working about their treatment plan. With those kids, I would gently close the door and it was just the child, the parent, and I would say, okay, listen, let's talk about this. What's not working? Why isn't it working? And then I would say, I get it. And that's how it started. I slipped once and said, I get it. And the kid looked at me like, and I said, no, I really do. And then I had to come out and explain. And I would say the goal of those moments is not to transfer what I've struggled with to them. It is to share that I understand the struggle, even if the quality isn't exactly the same. And that these are anecdotal things that I've found have worked and how to advocate within the system to make sure that if it's not working, that they're being heard for why not and that they're not being labeled as non-compliant. And I find that when they know that you're operating from a position of a more intimate level of understanding, the kids are more open to listening to you because they actually see someone who has walked the walk to some degree. That's great. So why do you think it's important that we have doctors with disabilities? I think that the tapestry of medicine, tapestry of patients that we see has 
every type under the sun, right? We have patients that are like us. We have patients that are not like us. And I think the more variation, the better. In early, in, in developmental medicine, variety is normal. Variety is what we want. Variety is, is beautiful. And when we get aware of the loss of variety, it usually signals that there may be a developmental deviation or something that's different that we need to pay attention to and perhaps offer therapy to. So when you look at the tapestry of humanity, I think that medical providers should be reflecting the exact tapestry that we provide for. And if that tapestry includes people of all different races, genders, whatever it is, it should also include people who have different levels of ability because quite frankly, we start off life to some degree disabled and we will end our life disabled to some degree. So we're all on the spectrum. It's just a matter of where we're going to be at any given moment. And I think that patients would be better served and more richly served by having that tapestry be completely reflective of who they are rather than partially reflective. I feel having doctors reflect the fabric of our society and the makeup of our society closes a lot of power differentials between doctors exactly. and their patients. What do you see being done well in terms of accommodations for medical school and residency programs and what can be improved? I think this is a tricky question because I'm not in the world of medical education, so I'm not completely informed on the legal ramifications and what is required, but I can tell you just anecdotally what I observe is I certainly observe more and more students coming and more and more residents coming with different medical conditions. I haven't seen as many that have disabilities, but I have seen some and certainly more than I saw when I was a medical student or a resident. So I do think that it's starting to swing that way. I also think, however, it's challenging for medical schools because to provide accommodations and yet maintain the standards that different countries have for what is considered acceptable levels of performance, it is challenging and it is financially challenging. How schools navigate that, I think, is going to be challenging and it's going to take time. But to give reference, when I was a fellow in developmental medicine, my other fellow had a profound hearing impairment and required signing. Imagine the cost for that fellowship program to bring in not one, but two sign language people for every meeting we had, every conference we had, every patient he saw. And it was fantastic. It was a great investment by our program. And I was really in awe of our program, but a huge investment. And that has ramifications. I want to say that it should be easy and we should do it. I'm not naive enough to think it is that easy. That doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. I just don't know if I have an answer exactly how. Dr. Serge, yeah. before we end, what advice do you have for doctors and medical students living with disabling conditions? Keep going. I'm just starting a new job and I think I had my final cry or my first cry the other day because it's exhausting. I have my medical regimen, I have my therapy regimen, and now I have this whole new job and I'm trying to fit it into that and I don't know the people and there's just so much about it. There was a great cartoon I saw and it had this huge circle and it said, what seems hard today? And then the circle got smaller and it was what will seem hard in six months. And then the circle got smaller, what will seem hard in a year. The idea of it is just keep going because things do get easier as you get further and further along and you earn respect for yourself and you learn and you become more experienced. It gets easier to be more transparent. It gets easier to ask for someone to cover or for someone to help you because you're having a bad day because people know you beyond whatever it is that you're struggling with. So. I think my biggest advice is keep going because we need you. Dr. Church, it's been such an honor. 
Thank you so much for your honesty and vulnerability. Your words today will go a long way in shaping how we think about the kind of culture we want to create in medicine. Okay. Thank you. Thank you.